Okay, so how do we make sense of those roughly 50 verses that we just read detailing all the different kinds of animals that the Israelites could and could not eat? How do we make sense of that? And in order to do that, I want to... um, I want us to think about I want us to think about what we learned during COVID. Everybody, oh, COVID, right? Remember that. Um, there have been a million think pieces written about the impact of COVID on ourselves, on our society. Um, but I haven't seen anybody take this hot take up. Um, and, and if I ever um, decide I'm a masochist, I might write an article about it. But. Um, <laughs> COVID revealed that we actually don't hate stuff like food laws and clean laws that we just read about in Leviticus. We actually love them. We just don't always love what they're asking of us. But think about it. COVID COVID gave us clear markers of who was in and who was out. If you you thought that COVID was a serious threat, you you had a set of rules. You wore a mask all the time. You social distanced. You got vaccinated, and then you got boosted, and then you got boosted again, and then you got boosted for a third time, and however many times that you're supposed to get boosted. And, and, and that proved how seriously you took it, that you were, you were set apart for the purpose of fighting this, this pandemic. But maybe, maybe you didn't think COVID was a serious threat, and you had a set of rules, which was basically just the opposite of all the COVID rules, like don't wear a mask. Um, you know, don't social distance, uh, don't get vaccinated, uh, don't get a booster, wear a shirt that says you don't have a vaccination or a booster, um, put a bumper sticker on it, you know, um, order, order your life around the fact that you didn't do any of those things. And, 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 and what are you in that? You are, you are set aside for the purpose of telling everybody that the mainstream media is the devil and, and all, all the different things, right? And like, Regardless of how you feel about either one of those sides, we all saw that. Like we all witnessed it happen. And, and I think that what it did was it revealed that we actually love holiness codes and we cling tightly to them when they're given to us. We love them. And a couple of things about tonight. Um, because of the way that this semester and and my life is going to be taking shape in the next few weeks. We're having a baby in like a month. So, um, yeah, awesome. We, we heard her heartbeat today. She's doing really well. So we're very excited. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to take all Leviticus 11 through 15 and fit it into tonight. Um, that shouldn't take less than about an hour and a half. Um, I'm, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Um, but, what I, what I want to do is I want to take the food laws as kind of representative of the entire holiness code. And so that as you look through chapters 12 through 15 and you start to ask questions about what this might mean, that you can kind of apply some of the same, uh, the same ideas. And look, these chapters are where Leviticus gets weird. Um, and if you've been with us the whole semester, you've been like, it's been weird the whole, se- the whole time. I said what I said. This is where it gets weird. Because look, we, we sort of have context for all the stuff in, in Leviticus 1 through 10 about uh, religious practice, about sacrifices, about priests. Like these are fairly familiar things to us. But this idea that uh, there's a God who would tell us like what to eat and what not to eat. There's a God who would tell us that 
certain, uh, certain things that just sort of naturally happen in our bodies, like set us apart as unclean for a little while. Like that's weird. We don't know what to do with that. And look, I, I wish that we had time to go into all these chapters in more detail, but just know um, if there's something in Leviticus 11 through 15 that you've just been itching to talk about, like just come and talk to me. Like we'll, we'll have a one-on-one. We'll talk about it. It's great. Like that's what we're here for. So remember the question of our study. How are we as a redeemed and yet still sinful people to live in the presence of a holy God? And what I want us to start off with is, is, is talking about this whole idea of holiness. Because we're all familiar with the word holy. We're all familiar with the idea of holiness, but um, I bet many of us, if, if we, like I bet if we went and, and polled 100 people on this campus, we'd get 100 different answers for what holiness actually is. And again, this word holy is a part of our question for what we're doing with this study. How do we live in the presence of a holy God? And so we need to figure out what that means. And, and the principles that we discuss around this idea of holiness, that, like, that's what applies to the, rest of, to the rest of the book of Leviticus. So what is holy? And to be holy is to be set apart for a purpose. And, and, and if, we go back to, uh, if we go back to Genesis as God is, is choosing his people, he is calling, uh, he's calling Abram out of his homeland to come and to be the father of a great nation, that God, God has bound himself in a covenant with Abram to set him aside for a purpose. That God has set him aside. He said, you are, you are, you are my man. You, you will be the father of my nation. And the purpose of this nation will be to bless the world. So we see that, that Abram is set aside for a purpose. That's what holiness means. And we all, we all understand this to some degree. We all have rituals and traditions with objects that really don't bear any kind of significant meaning in and of themselves. But, but they indicate that they're being used for a special purpose. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how much of a thing this still is, but uh, my mom in our dining room had the china cabinet. And the china cabinet was full of, of plates and cups and forks and knives and spoons. And we never used them, ever. Like, ever. Except for the most special of events. When certain people would come over, we would break out the fine china. And, and they're just plates. They're not, they're not important. They're not, they're not valuable. I, mean, I guess they're expensive, but like, they, they, they don't bear any significance other than just like being a plate. But when they come out, you know that they have been set aside for the specific purpose of honoring the guest that's coming to eat with us or to commemorate whatever meal it might be. We, we, all, we all sort of understand that with different things. We have um, superstitious things that we use to, uh, you know, hope our, they help our, our team win or, or like whatever. We all have things. And so God has set aside his people as holy. But here's, here's where holiness starts to get weird in Leviticus. God doesn't just set aside people as holy. He sets aside food as holy. He sets aside utensils as holy. He sets aside uh, buildings and spaces is holy. And what one commenter called this uh, dependent holiness, meaning that the holy status that we as people, as well as the inanimate objects listed in these chapters, that holiness only comes from God. That God gives it to us to set us aside. Um, and, and we don't have this or attain this on our own. But God's holiness is different. God is holy because of who he is. 
God is holy because he is completely self-contained in and of himself. And there's two factors of God's holiness that, that, sort, of, that sort of come out um, in, in the Bible. And, and we see that they're, that they're rooted in God's power and in his moral purity. And it would take way too long for us to look at all the places in the Bible that talk about these things. But go just read it for yourself and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, the RUF guy is inviting you to read the Bible on your own. So go and do that. Um, but look, every time that people in the Bible like look at God, they either like kill over and die or they turn into a pillar of salt or they fall on their face and they're like, ah, oh, they, they worship and they kind of get really scared. And then they, and then they, and then they glow for like weeks to come years to come, you know, um, this is God's holiness, but God's holiness is also shown in his goodness how he commands his people to care for the poor around them, to care for the weak and their neighbors and all these different things. And, and as, I, as I was thinking about that, um, the scene in, I think it's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, where, uh, it might, that might not be the one, but it's the one where Harry Potter uh, meets Dobby for the first time. Chamber, Ch- Chamber of Secrets, okay, sorry. Sorry, number two. Chamber of Secrets, my bad, my bad, my bad. I think y'all are madder than if I like misquoted the Bible, um, which. All right, the illustrations ruined. Next, no, it, but it, it, it's it's the scene where Harry Potter meets Dobby for the first time, and Dobby shows up to try to like talk Harry out of out of going back to Hogwarts because he's because he's afraid for him, and 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 what what happens is Harry gets through to Dobby by by showing not just that he like. Like cares about going back to Hogwarts, but he actually cares about Dobby. Like he's concerned with Dobby's health and well-being. And Dobby says, Dobby has heard of your greatness, sir, but of your goodness, Dobby never knew. And what he's saying is that he knew Harry's reputation as the boy who lived. He knew Harry's reputation as this powerful wizard, but he didn't know that Harry had a kind and a gentle heart. That Harry was concerned for others. And, and, and was it was kind of all about standing up for others and those weaker than him. And this is this is our relationship to God. This is this is true of God that that we know of God's greatness, but we do we know of His goodness? Or we might make assumptions about His goodness, but do we ever really stop and consider His greatness? And what the Holiness Code is showing us is that we can't elevate one over the other; that we have to take them both. Together, God's holiness is tied up and revealed in both his greatness and his goodness. One commenter says that the Lord is holy. He's utterly distinct in terms of his power and moral purity. There is no one as great as him and no one as good as him. He is without equal. For Israel, these were not simply abstract theological truths. They were realities they experienced in the most significant event of of their history, their redemption. And a lot of times, this idea of holiness, it gets talked about in these really uh, abstract ways. That it's this moving target that even if we do manage to check off uh, the box for that day, uh, there's the next day. And then there's like, there's the, there's the, like the, the next layer of holiness. It's like, yeah, like, you know, you didn't, like, you didn't watch Harry Potter growing up, but like, did you watch Star Wars? Because like, there's some new age stuff in there. Like, that was my church growing up. Like... Like there, there's always something else that you've got to be against or you've got to like try to live up to or whatever. But y'all in the Bible, holiness is never abstract. Holiness is never a moving target. 
Like if you heard, uh, if you heard, um, and, and if your eyes rolled back in the back of your head and you glazed over during all those verses, like I totally get it. Like that's fine. But if you heard in those verses what was happening, if you heard in those verses what was happening, you heard holiness clearly explained. You heard the law laid out. You heard what happened when you broke the law and you heard how to get back. You heard how to be restored. And we see this in everything that's declared holy. God's people are declared holy, set aside for the purpose of worshiping him and and blessing the nations. Certain items in the temple are declared holy. They're set aside for the purpose of assisting in worship. That we see this over and over again. And look, holiness is not the only category that we're dealing with here because there's also these words that get repeated over and over and over and over again. And it's clean and unclean. And when we, when we hear these words, we hear about something being clean or unclean in the Bible, we tend to equate that into uh, like kind of a moral sense, right? If you're, if you're, if you're clean, then, then you're, you're, you're living right, you're doing, you're doing good stuff. If you're unclean, you're living wrong, you're doing bad stuff. And if you're holy, then you've attained the status of my favorite made-up couple, Johnny and Jane Superchristian. Like, like, like you're, you're, you're living on their level where you're just knocking everything out of the park. Like you haven't missed a quiet time in like 24 days and you cried to oceans the last time you heard it. Like that's what it is. I had to make an ocean show. Sorry. Um, but y'all, that, that's, that's not, that's not what the Bible is doing. here. That's not what the Bible is doing with these clean laws because, because there's, they're usually not always, but usually there's, there's nothing actually wrong with being unclean. There's nothing wrong with it. You, if you go through uh, chapters 11 through 15, you'll see a bunch of stuff there. Like all kinds of things make you unclean. Eating uh, a certain food, having a baby, um, having a period, having leprosy, stuff, like things like that. Like there are things throughout these chapters that make you unclean that are just like normal things that happen to people. And, and one of the criticisms of these passages is that, well, this is just overbearing. This is, this is just that Old Testament God who, uh, who was you know, crazy and like whatever and whatever. We, we have Jesus now, so we don't deal with any of that. But we, we, need, to, we need to stop and, and ask what God is doing in these, uh, in these chapters. And we are painting with a broad brush, but specifically why? Like why does something like, like having sex with your spouse and then having a baby both of which are good things that are commanded in Scripture. Like That's like the first thing that God tells Adam and Eve to do. is like, be fruitful and multiply. And then in Leviticus, he's like, also that makes you unclean. So why? Why does this happen? Why does eating pork make you impure? And the simple answer is there's not a simple answer. We don't get told why. Like nowhere does God say, hey, the whole thing, like this is the reason. This is the reason why. These animals are good. These animals are bad, whatever. He doesn't tell us other than they did. But the point that's being made here is that whatever the reason behind these laws and these ritual states may be, the point is that God is holy and we are not. And and that we are to reflect God's holiness by following the law. That's what we're called to do. And these laws were a constant reminder that we live in a fallen world that often will lead us into uncleanness simply by virtue of living in it. So that's that. <laughs> um, 
But then let's look at the food laws, right? And we might read these food laws and think that, uh, that, it's, that they're kind of ridiculous. Um, but it's important for us to note that every culture has like definitions of like what food is acceptable to eat and what food is not acceptable to eat. Like, I think it's kind of weird to like think about eating a horse, but in certain European and Asian nations, like that's not weird. That's what they do. Um, I googled I googled foods that we think are normal as Americans that other countries think are weird, and uh, that's like chicken and waffles and corn dogs. Like, those are beautiful and wonderful, and yet. And yet, if you had like a European friend, they'd be like, what are you doing? This is disgusting. Um, you're unclean. And then you're like, oh, we're right back to where we started. But those things made me sad. The point is, the point is, every culture has a set of rules that say this food is okay and this food is not. And what we see in these verses is there are three major distinctions. Uh, we see land, water, and sky. And each each type of animal in those categories has a clean and an unclean designation. And again, there are a lot of questions as to why. Why is a pig unclean, but a cow or a sheep clean? And look, these laws are near and dear to my heart because they don't mean that like crawfish or shrimp are immoral. (laughs) Go ahead and make a plug for May. We have a big crawfish bowl. It's great. You should come to it. And it's not wrong because of this. It's not wrong. It's good. And look, again, People have, people have made a ton of attempts to try to explain like what this is, and they try to, you know, um, and most of these don't suffice. Some people suggest that uh, these things had to do with hygiene, that some animals were better for your health or not. Some people suggest that different animals were associated with pagan worship, so they were off limits, and some have thought these laws were totally arbitrary. Some have thought they're totally symbolic. And I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I read all the arguments. None of them are particularly compelling but that, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think the why is the point. Um, my campus minister, again, I feel like I'm quoting less a lot. So, uh, but he said this. He said, God is teaching his people a lesson on purity. In creation, you can see examples of creatures who stay consistent to their nature. I want you to be the same. Holiness is in some ways being what I have created you to be. Later on in Leviticus, God will tell you not to mix crops in a growing field or different kinds of fabric in an article of clothing. It's the same thing. They were to be one thing, his people and nothing else. The laws were a symbolic reminder that God's people were supposed to be set apart. They lived differently and ate differently. Verse 34 says, be holy as I am holy. I am the Lord. God roots these strange food laws in his holy character by which he freed them from Egypt. We need to be holy because we are God's people, period. The motivation for godliness is God. And this is what these food laws reflect. They show, again, that we are set apart and distinct. Like one of the things that continually got repeated to God's people as they were moving into the promised land uh, to take the land that God had given them, they were not supposed to intermingle with other nations. They were supposed to completely drive them out, completely wipe them out of the land. Um, and that happens in, in Joshua. Um, they were to completely, yeah, completely remove people from the land, not because God was a genocidal maniac, uh, not because God uh, was just cruel or, or, or whatever, um, but there were kind of two specific reasons. First, these people deserve God's wrath and judgment. Like when you read about the practices in Canaan, like it was, it was pretty dark stuff. But two, the, uh, the second reason was because God knew that if those people remained, then his people would be tempted to intermingle and pursue other gods. 
And what we know from the story of Israel is that's exactly what they did. So these, these food laws and the rest of the clean laws, they put up a barrier. Think about it. If the Israelites couldn't eat what the people of the surrounding nations could eat, then they wouldn't have true fellowship with them. It's why if you're a vegan, you have a hard time making friends because nobody wants to eat your food. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They have cauliflower wings at Buffalo Wild Wings. Please, please come hang out with us. Um, if you're a vegan, I'm sorry. Um, but just a little bit. Um, okay. So what, what, do we, what do we do with all that? What sense do we make of this? And there, there, there's a ton of information here. Um, and it's all weird and it really even feels irrelevant. Uh, in, in Mark 7... Jesus declares all foods clean. He says it's not, what, it's not what goes into you that defiles you, it's what comes out of you. And in so doing, he declared all foods clean. Peter has this vision uh, of a bunch of animals on a sheet, and God is like, hey, Peter, like, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, no, God, I'll never eat anything unclean. And, and God's like, Peter, you didn't hear me. Rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, no, Lord, I would never do that. And God's like, shut up and eat the food. <laughs> like, um, the, the New Testament gives us a very clear message. No more food laws. They're done. They're over. They're a thing of the past. That's why my runner-up idea for my barbecue food truck was New Covenant Blessings Barbecue. Um, <laughs> let the reader understand. Uh, here's, here's, here's what we take away from this. The first thing is that this stresses God's nearness to us. One, one commentator said, A God whose presence was felt in the kitchen was not a God that you could marginalize, keep confined to a compartment of life marked spiritual, or serve only at special times designated for worship. He was a God who reigned over the totality of life and was to be served at all times and in all places. See, we've said this over and over again, that God is a personal God, and his character is revealed in his law. God pays special attention and care to what his people eat. He doesn't just care about your religious affection for him. He doesn't just care about your quiet times or how hard you go in worship or how many CLW credits you have right now or how many weeks in a row you've been in church. Like God cares about those things, but he doesn't only care about those things. A God who cares about what you eat also cares about the details in your life that you are afraid are a burden to other people or are so minor that they don't deserve being mourned or celebrated. God cares about that stuff. And this is shown time and time again. God bound himself to his people, not just with his blood, but with his name. Think about that. The, 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 the completely sovereign, supreme, totally holy, totally separate creator and king of the universe comes to his people and says, this is my name. You know my name. Just as he knows yours. He put his image in you. He set you free from these food laws, but he still cares about the most mundane details of your life. Matthew 10 tells us that he's even numbered the hairs on our head. But that's, that's how God cares for you. And I, I think about this all the time with my kids. Like I, I cannot tell you, I cannot stress you how little I care about like Thomas the Tank Engine. Like I'm so tired of Thomas. But you know who's not tired of Thomas? My three-year-old son. And so you know what the greatest thing in the world is? Thomas. I love it because I love him, because I know him. And I care about it because I care about him. And this is the way that God in these food laws is showing us that he's involved in our lives. He 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 cares deeply about the things that we eat. 
But the second thing that this does is it reminds us that holiness is our response to God's love, not the other way around. Holiness is our response to God's love, not the way that we earn God's love. I think we all need to hear this. We all need to remember the order because so much of Leviticus is keeping in mind the order in which these things happen. God has already set them free from Egypt. He's already taken them out of slavery and he's taking them to his land for them. And he's saying, the Levitical law is not the way that you become my people. It's the way that you know you are my people. There's no ambiguity here. And we tend to live the opposite way, right? Our best efforts to follow the law ultimately is what makes us God's people. If I can do enough, if I can do the right thing, if I can get this, maybe not perfect, but just good enough. If I can do that, then maybe God will love me and accept me. No, we don't receive Christ by staying clean or following the law or whatever. We receive him by faith in light of his death and his resurrection. And so for us now, holiness is not marked by the foods that we eat or the clothes that we wear. But these laws still should make us reflect on the nature of our hearts. As we read these laws, uh, they should make us stop and think about who we are. Even as redeemed people, these laws should make us aware that any sort of cleanness or any sort of audience with God that we have is purely because of his grace and nothing else. It's not because you're clean enough. It's not because you're good enough. They compel us to live holy lives, not because it's a good strategy or a recipe for a good life. Honestly, y'all, I, I, hate, the, I hate the argument that we hear all the time. It's like, well, you know, like, I mean, if, if I'm wrong about all this Christianity stuff, right, at least I lived a good life, you know, and I died and everything's over and that's it, right? But if you don't, if, if you reject this Christianity stuff, like you don't believe in it and you're wrong, well, then like, you're going to go to hell. So you should just believe in God, right? That's a terrible argument. It's a horrible argument. Why? Because we are not called to make a pragmatic decision for things that simply make our lives a little better. We are called to see God's character and his beauty revealed in his holiness and to follow him simply because he's beautiful. Simply because he is clean. Simply because he is holy. Simply because he loves us and has given himself to us. And where, where in the world is the gospel in all of this? It's in Leviticus 11.45. I'm going to read it again. He says, I'm the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy. See, in this verse, we see that God has done something in history. I have broken into human history and I have set you free. You are no longer a slave, but you are now free. But you have a new name and a new identity because I am now your God. And the opposite inference is you are now my people. You belong to me. You are mine. And then he says, you shall therefore be holy. He says, now this is how you're going to live. God acted in history. He changed their identity and he changed the way they live by showing us that the way for us to be holy, y'all, the way for us to truly be holy is to admit that we do not have the capacity to be holy. The way for us to do that is to bring ourselves to the Lord and say, 
Only you can make me holy. Only you can make me clean. But there's another thing that's just below the surface here, and, and, um, and this is what next week is about. But the holiness code laid out in Leviticus 11 through 15 is building to something. It has an end in mind. And it's this day called the Day of Atonement. That God gave his people one day a year to say, this is the day that all of you are going to come together. And you are going to reflect on your sin. And you are going to confess your sin. And then you are going to see and hear and smell and touch and whatever the other senses that I might have left out are. Like You're going to experience all of them. How much I love you. How much I've forgiven you. How much you are mine. That God has given his people this day to celebrate their redemption. And all of this points us to Christ. Because Christ is the one who broke into human history. Fully God and fully man. And died on the cross and rose again to save you from your sins. Christ is the one who broke into human history to give you a new name and a new status. To say, you are my son and you, I am well pleased. And then God has given us a new glorious purpose. Because this one who came and followed these food laws perfectly, never once broke them. That he comes to us and shows us the way up is down. The way to get rich is to give it away. And the way to live well is to live sacrificially. This is who the God of Leviticus is. This is who he is revealed to be. And this is what the law shows us. Consider that an invitation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for this passage. Thank you that... Um, thank you that your law reveals your character to us. It reveals your heart to us. And God, I, I pray for those, uh, those of us tonight that... Um, are still trying really hard to live clean and to live holy. Lord, would you show us that you are the only one who can make us so? Time and time again in these passages, we see that someone else has to step in and make us clean. And Lord, ultimately that's you. Lord, for those of us that uh, maybe we believe, maybe, maybe we know you and love you, God, would you just remind us that these things are true? Father, this is a weird passage. It's a weird thing to talk about. And yet it's in your word and you've given it to us to bless us and to change our lives. God, would you please do that tonight? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.